0: To the much-anticipated episode 40 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts.
1: How's it going, Justin? Hey, good. How are you? I'm at the big 4 That's right. We've reached podcast middle age.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, where do you want to start?
1: Well, let's start with... Uh, why don't we start with um, TweetMiner and... and you know what you've been doing with that? I think you have a lot going on. Uh, okay, sure. Um,
0: so I, I rebranded TweetMiner to Plugio. Okay. And uh, the reason why I did that is because, uh, I well, mainly I decided that TweetMiner is going to do more than Twitter. It's going gonna, it's gonna to basically be a, a complete social management system. Right. And um, I think that's a good direction and a good future for it. And uh, I'm also kind of worried being completely tied into Twitter um because of some of the stuff that they've been talking about recently and i think that you know if you if you just kind of put all your eggs in one basket it, it is possibly slightly dangerous you know you saw what happened to me when they when they decided to shut me down
1: right well i mean a couple of things with tweet minor. first of all right your tweet miner sort of gives the impression that it only works for twitter so you limit yourself to one platform form yeah. uh, miner like you know first of all i'm not even sure what I mean that's very limiting. If you're simple if, It seems
0: if, like kind of like a searchy almost like as if you might, you know, in fact it almost mining. seems slightly naughty like as if you're data mining or something like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and the fact it was a dot net wasn't great either.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, so plugio.com. So,
1: yeah, I think that's much better. I think it I mean it doesn't really imply any particular service. It gives you some flexibility, some latitude to move around if you start focusing on one uh, type of feature set versus another, and uh, I like it. I, think it. I think it works. Yeah, and the, the other
0: the other nice thing about it is um, it sort of sounds a little bit like being plugged in, so you're kind of plugged into all of your social media.
1: Well, what I thought was interesting, when we talked a little bit about this offline, was the fact that you pronounce it plug but it's plug-2g's-io, right? Yeah. Like plug-input-output, yeah. right? So I think plug-io makes more sense from what it is your plug it's the input output to the social you know net or whatever you want to call it and uh, the social networks. so i would almost say plug io um and and write it that way like lowercase plug uppercase io as if for input output but i don't know i mean obviously you can pronounce it any way you want but i i think the io gives more of the um it sort of accentuates the input output aspect of it
0: I, I hear what you're saying, but I mean, there's lots of times when, when the domain name's going to be in print and people are reading it. And um, I think most people read it as Plugio. And actually, to prove that point, I, I asked my Twitter stream and about 20 people responded back and off, out of the 20, one of them said Plugio. The rest of them said Why Plugio. Why would they say
1: EO when it's an IO, right? It's I, I don't EO. know. It
0: just, it just seems to make any sense? read that way. I think it's because you're a techie.
1: How is it that I'm the only one who's right? I mean, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know, Why Jay. is everybody wrong? It's, it's so I, often um, that way, weird. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, it's really strange. Um, okay, I got, I got
0: a topic then that I uh, or, unless you want to go into this. Oh, a no, bit well, more.
1: let's 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 stay on, let's stay on, um, you know, on plug io. <laughs>
0: oh no, 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 don't do that. Plug you.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> now, uh, well, it's kind of like I think you're, you you were listening to um, Cranky Geeks with Dvorak. Yeah, he and he he repeatedly mispronounces or for, or pretends to forget um Omalek's name. He's like who's they work for? Was that Om so and so or it's like John Malik or whatever. But by doing that, it sort of accentuates people it makes people sort of search their mind like who's he really talking about. Yeah. So it actually works to Omalek's advantage. <laughs> so anyway, um all right. Well, here's my question. Okay, so Pluggio, yeah. now have you actually moved it over are you in the process i mean have you changed the the domain and changed oh yeah no
0: it's all done i mean i've i've completely changed the name completely rebranded redid all the videos from scratch which took a day all Mm -hmm. the help videos but i think i've ended up with a better a better help video system and actually the good thing is is because i was knocking out the help videos one at a time before they all had different sound levels and different sound qualities Whereas now they all sound... they're Equally all, bad? Yeah, <laughs> equally good. <laughs> right, right.
1: So now is the whole... The UI is completely different too? Did you change the UI or is it just... No, I've, the, I've
0: basically just... I've left the UI exactly the same and just changed the word, the, the main logo basically.
1: Okay. Which and mean, what about... no you know, when you talk about the new direction, you know, or the expansion of the concept... We'll talk a little bit about that. I mean, what is the what is the, the expanded concept? Well, the first thing that I've done is to
0: plug in Ping FM, so that now with Plug.io, you can post to any social network. Mm-hmm. So, and and Ping FM have about thirty social networks already set up. So I've t- very tightly integrated it with them, so that if you set up your thirty social networks on Ping FM, you just basically shove your Ping FM um, API key into Plug.io, and then it automatically okay. brings everything in and my my implementation's different to to um other clients' implementations that I've seen. The other um other Twitter clients, the way that they do it is they just allow you to post to Ping FM and then whatever okay. settings you have in Ping FM, it just will do that. So if in your Ping FM you've got it set to post to six places, it's gonna do that, right? It's just gonna post to those six places. Whereas I'm kind of making a little bit more use of their API and I'm actually showing you the six places that you can post to and then letting you pick and choose. On, on a tweet-by-tweet right. basis. So you can just post to Facebook if you want, you know?
1: Right. Okay, so here, I have a question then. Yeah, sure. Now, you, you talked about depending too much on one platform. So, you know, with Twitter, I mean, now you're going to depend on Ping FM. Are you, are you going, is that a temporary thing that you're ultimately going to write directly to the API of the various social networks, or are you just going to rely on Ping FM?
0: Oh, it's very much a temporary thing because what, what's going to happen is um, as I bring each new social network in, I'm going to make more use of their API. Okay. and um because what I'll start reading the social networks as well so because at the moment you can just post out right you okay. can post out to the multiple networks but um, you will be able to read Facebook so I'll, I'll basically integrate the Facebook API fully so that you can see Facebook streams you know, right comments so' it's, it's, it's a
1: nice it's sort of a nice half step you get there quickly and then you, it's sort of getting horizontal and then building the depth they're getting breadth and then yeah. depth exactly uh, exactly okay so how did your now you, I think you said you mentioned to me offline about how something about how um you contacted your your email list your your subscribers and asked them about plug iO Didn't you get some feedback on that <laughs> Plug-y <Plug-yo. Io.
0: laughs> yeah well I, well actually I mean that was something that I wanted to talk about was that um I basically created a um a kind of constant contact email system within Tweetminer. Within Plugio, <laughs> I'm okay. saying tweet minor. So basically, you know, ra- rather than go out and buy some software, I, I mean, it only took a day, to be honest. And right. it's just, um, it segments the list so I can send emails to people who have logged in within the last week or who've purchased something but then are not logged in within two weeks or whatever. And so I've started, uh, you know, actively communicating with the client base. Well, what uh, a
1: strange concept.
0: (laughs) And it really makes a difference. I mean, it's really, really good, especially
1: being able to segment the user base in that way. Well, Um, I mean, that's exactly what um, Isaac and Arnoff talked about. Specifically, Arnoff talked about in our interview with Central Desktop a few weeks back is the importance when you're small to do as much of the automation sort of communication. Automating the communication with your customers as much as possible, sort of the upsell, the reminding email, reminder emails, things like that, and you weren't doing hardly any of that, right?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and it's because of that, because of that um, session, that podcast that we have, that I started doing it. You know, I mean, that's the mm-hmm. great thing about um, texting is that we we have these guys on, and then I learn a little something, and then I kind of implement it. <laughs> well,
1: how and, do you know? You know, that's interesting, though. I mean, when you talk about um, learning something, I mean. Do you feel like you learn more talking to people individually than just say reading blog posts about this stuff? Because, you know, a lot of the things that we talk to people about, I mean, you read or, you know, about some of it just by, you know, very you, you blog know, you posts. can
0: kind of see something and you can kind of hear something, but does it actually sink in? Like for me, it sinks in when I talk to real people, who basically, you know, I may have read it four or five times, but it hasn't mm-hmm. actually sunk in until I've met someone who's been you know who's had some success using that that theory. And it seems
1: they're a real person and it almost seems like a little more convincing.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Right, just someone some random person ranting on their blog about
0: Exactly. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you know with like the people that we invite on the show like we know that they're that they're truthful and you know we know that what they say is is actually what happened. You know? Right.
1: Right. You you know um you know it's kind of interesting. You talk of it in terms of like the 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 automated emailing and yeah. things like that. I, that kind of segues into uh, an interesting uh, topic. I recently listened to an interview on Mixergy. You know Andrew Warner's Mixergy? G uh, uh, yeah. yeah, he interviews all these entrepreneurs, um, which is really good, by the way. Uh, and if you if you like that format, and uh, which I think he does a, a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, and. uh Someone he interviewed recently, I'm not sure how many interviews back it was, but it's a guy named Tim Berkwin, and he has he has a couple of podcasts. One of them is Trader Interviews, which I happen to have listened to for a while. You know, I, I've mentioned before on the podcast I was in the sort of automated trading world for a while and yeah. uh, high-frequency trading systems and things. And I used to listen to the interview with all of these really... Um, really successful traders, which in a sense is kind of like the equivalent of what, what uh, Andrew Warner does with entrepreneurs yeah. you know, we go you interview these guys and they 're like yeah you know i you know i I trade you know these stocks or I trade these futures and this is how I trade and this is how successful I am or or not or whatever and um it's really if you're if you 're in if you 're trading it's it 's going to be really useful you can pick up some really kind of good ideas yeah um anyway so the, what 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 he said is that he uh, what Tim Berkman said in the interview was that he had been doing the podcast for about two years, and you know he had a couple sponsors, you know that he would talk about on the show. He would mention their names on the show and things like that. But he had made a grand total of seven thousand dollars in two years. Where's this uh, at sponsorships? Yeah. And eventually, he just said, "Well, you know, I think this is not working." right? I mean, this is the amount of time it takes to line up these interviews and do the interviews and do the post-production, all that stuff. I mean, $7,000 over two years is just a joke. And so what he decided to do is put it behind a paywall. Like you can only get, you know, you can only listen to interviews. You know, if you subscribe, you pay a monthly fee to the pod, you know, to become a member. And every once in a while, he'll put up like part of an interview or a free interview. But he said within the from, I think he said he started in May and by December, he'd made $110,000. Wow. remember. And that, because, you know, Andrew, in the interview, was, was discussing this, and it was of particular interest to him because he had been just talking with his audience about moving Mixergy behind a paywall. Right. Yeah. And he had gotten initially a lot of pushback on. A lot of people complained and got really angry and said, forget it. I'm not going to listen. And it was really interesting listening to Tim talk about this because he said, listen, he's like, those people who are going to complain. We're never going to pay, are never going to be your customers in your first place. Yeah. So they're not your customer base. The people who get value out of are going to pay. And that's just it. And he's like, you know, he's like, I have a list of like, you know, 5,000 or whatever it was listeners. And whenever somebody, gets off the email list, he's like, it's fine. It's no problem, because they're not going to pay anyway. I'd rather just have the people who find value in what I'm doing and are willing to pay for it. Anyway, but he was talking about, the reason I bring this up in addition to just the interest of that, how interesting that was, but that he um, he had like an, he would actively email people on his list, and, and, and people didn't really get that ir- irritated at all, and the people who did really weren't, you know, the kind of serious paying subscribers. And the emails were, he would send up fairly regular emails that were sort of action oriented, I guess. And like, we have this interview, we have that interview and whatever. And it turned out that to really help increase the number of paying customers.
0: So, so did, do people pay on a show by show basis or do they pay?
1: No, they pay. I think, I think they pay a monthly, uh, I think he, I, I haven't looked at the podcast. I mean, since I, since I'm no really, I'm i I'm no longer actively, um, working on that stuff. I, you know, I haven't really been listening to the, the podcast anymore. So, you know, I wasn't going to be one of the paying I, get, I guess
0: for the listeners at home, they're probably thinking, is this, are we going to segue into the fact that we're going to start charging for texting? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I don't think which we're. <laughs> which we're
0: not we're not going to do um there's certainly no plans to that for the moment so don't worry about no, it. No, <laughs> I, I don't.
1: So. Uh, but uh anyway, the what was interesting though is about the emails is is Andrew was like, "Well, aren't you just really pissing people off, you know? You, you know people feel like you're spamming." And he's like, "No, you know. He's like he's like the reason you do it is because it actually works. And if you send regular emails to the people who are your serious, you know, audience or serious paying customers they don't mind it and if they've also uh, got an
0: unsubscribe button at the bottom of an email or they can send it to spam or whatever i mean yeah i know i mean of course that that was the first thing that i put in was to make sure that people could unsubscribe via the website um and i've you know been looking at the stats and very few people did unsubscribe so
1: well so i it, it seemed that you know the the email list he really worked to build his paying customer base yeah and um and what happened is the people who tended to people would either unsubscribe or not but it usually happened right away yeah. and the people who stayed on you know became paying customers and um i don't know it uh, it was really interesting but it it, it kind of reminds me of what you were talking about six how how much seemed like it helped to start uh, sending out emails to your customer base
0: yeah, I mean, it, it, it completely helped. And I will also say that it also um, drove sales to go higher as well. So right. what, Because what re- happened is, because so. I basically sent I sent out one email to everyone who'd subscribed, so that went out to like 3,000 people. And I just mm-hmm. said, look, you know, uh, this was when it was still TweetMiner. Like TweetMiner's been really updated. There's a whole bunch of new features in. Check out this page here. And then it was just the, the demo page with the videos. And I just got so many responses back saying, "Wow, it's really come, you know, come along. It does so much more than it used to." I stopped using it. I moved over to Hootsuite, but now I'm moving back, and I think it's really good. And then, you know, about 20 people became paying subscribers.
1: Yeah. See, I think I think that's really good. I think it's a really good idea to be doing that. And I think that's probably something you want to focus your energy on is sending out, you know, fairly regular updates, straightforward, you know stuff about what you're doing and what you've improved and, and, you know, trying to upsell people who are kind of on the fence and things like that. You know, you need to get sort of get action-oriented with them as opposed to just sort of just general blah, 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 this is what's neat. But, Do you think um, that
0: I should... Um, okay, I've got... Uh, the, thing about, the thing about Plugio is, right, I'm still, I'm still under this scenario where I can't work on it full-time, yeah? Mm-hmm. Do you think that I should A, take on like 50,000 investment from some angel and give them like 10% or B find a bunch of other developers who wants to join me and essentially give them some kind of equity stake or C (laughs) go down the traditional uh, venture capital route uh, and get like first round angel of 150,000 for 20% or whatever and then go for more venture funding further down the road. What do you think out of all of those options?
1: I think D none of the above. I think you should just <laughs> focus on it work a little harder because here's what I, here's what I think. If if someone approaches you, I would I would wait for someone to approach you. Okay? Therefore the the it'll be on your terms. If you go out looking for capital, we, you're going to not get nearly as good of a deal probably as if you have somebody coming to you. And you had some people come to you initially, but if you continue to build a paying customer base, you're going to have uh, investors approach you most likely. But second of all, I think that you just need to focus on building it and not getting distracted by the things, and you'll make progress and you'll build your customer base. I think if you start bringing in other developers, you're going to spend all your time getting to know you and talking about what you should, they should do and what you should do and all this stuff. You're going spend all this time just talking about stuff as opposed to just doing stuff. And I don't think you're going to make any much more progress. I think it's going to be like the, you know, what they talk, discuss, what's always talked about in the mythical man month. You know, it's like, oh, this is two man months or three man months. You just add people to the project and it's just it's not going to speed anything up. And I think spending a bunch of time approaching VCs and trying to raise money and all this stuff is just going to waste your time. Okay, so
0: could you do App Ignite um, on your own? I,
1: well, I am, you know, I'm doing it with Guy but I mean, I only work on it. You know, and hour, hour and a half a day, and whatever. Oh, we well, hey, you just busted out the name. Did I? Did you? Did you not? No, we have not announced the secret project yet. Oh. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> okay. So so anyway, um, I th- I just think, I think you you've gotten over a lot of the hard part. You have got you got something built, you got a customer base, you hit some bumps in the road with Twitter turning you off and then back on, you rebrand rebranded, you're doing all this stuff. I just think if you just allocate um, you know, a couple hours a day of really hard focused work, of development work, and then whatever, a little bit extra time we need to do customer support, I think you'll be doing fine for what you're doing. And I, I just think that'll be your most direct path to getting to the point where it's you're making enough money off of it to actually... Live off of it, or are not, not have to uh, take much consulting work. I think if you bring other people on, then it's gonna be like, well, you know, how much money do we have to make then to pay them and to pay you and all this kind of stuff. I think it's gonna be a. That, okay, a slow, so what about?
0: Slow... Hold on a second. So what's wrong with option A? Taking say fifty thousand for ten percent.
1: Because I think you'll end up spending the next six months having lots of conversations with people, and st- something may or may not happen with it, and it's just gonna distract. No, no, you. I
0: mean like if I can just get like a you know, like a, a friend or something like that.
1: Well, if you, can, if, 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 you can, if you can raise some quick money without having to waste a bunch of time talking about it and thinking about it and worrying about it, then yeah. Okay. Because all that time could have been spent on just building Plugio. Yeah, I see what you and, mean, yeah. And you know, I, I, just, I, just, I just get very, I'm very wary of the meta work, yeah. you know? I and mean, it just, is
0: so extensive because, I mean, I know. I mean, I sucked up a year and a half into doing that meta work for another project, and then it turns out mash that API. yeah, Nothing. mash API and and no one, you know, no, none of the VCs are going to buy it unless they see a working product.
1: Right, and and you know, and it's like, um, you know, I think you should follow kind of the thirty-seven signals Basecamp approach. Right, they did it for ten hours a week. Yeah, they got Basecamp launched, and then they and they they did consulting work as a firm. Yeah, and to pay their bills until you know Basecamp, and then I think you know Backpack or whatever, primarily Basecamp. Basecamp was able to pay the bills. And I think you should do that rather than um, doing it some other way. I think, you, you know, instead of a firm, you're just an individual, but you're doing, you're accomplishing the same thing. And you're, it's, you're, you're lucky in the sense that you have the talent to do the design and the coding, and uh, you don't have to bring a bunch of other people in to do that. You're, you have both of those capabilities in yourself, and so you can just make it happen. So it's just a matter of just sitting down and doing the damn work.
0: This is why I like doing this show, ladies and gentlemen, because Jason essentially is my conscience who uh, stops me from going off the straight and narrow and and keeps me hard at work on what I'm supposed to be working on when I'm always (laughs) looking for shortcuts.
1: (laughs) You are. You're like, I don't want to do this. I want to bring other people. It's like, well, you know what? You're just going to bring headache into your life. You're going to bring distraction and headache and metal work. And, you know, just stay focused. Just put your... You know, which
0: okay, okay,
1: okay. I, I hear you. I hear you. Let, let me let me just change the subject for
0: one second. There's something I've been wanting to talk to you about for about okay. two weeks, and it's just just very quickly before we bring in your secret project, right? right. And this is wine, and I know you're going to say I've got nothing to say about. It. I don't want to talk about that. That's a load of rubbish. But I want to talk to you about wine for just a couple of minutes because I think that you might find it interesting. All right, go ahead. So about two weeks ago, I went down and um, had a lunch uh, with a friend of my family's who um, has been living in America all his life, actually, living in Santa mm-hmm. Barbara. Mm-hmm. And what he does is he basically buys and sells wine. But mm-hmm. that kind of sounds like you buy and sell wine by the bucket load. But what he does is he buys and sells very fine wine. Okay. So I didn't really have a concept of what that meant until I kind of, Went over there and went down into his wine cellar, and he showed me some of the wines that he has. Okay. So he handed me a bottle of wine, and he said, "How much do you think that costs? How much do you think it costs? What do you think? Give me, give me your top, uh, top dollar price for that bottle of wine that I held." Okay. But I'm asking you. You're me,
1: asking me. I'm asking you. Give me, give oh, me. Oh, I don't know. Maybe a, a couple, couple thousand dollars.
0: Try fifty thousand. Wow. And yeah. I was like, "So you mean people drink this wine?" And he's like every day. He basically wow. has a black book of um, billionaires. He's got like 50, 50 customers that he works with. Okay. And he constantly travels around the world. And he just finds wine for this, for anywhere between 5000 and 50000 maybe even more a bottle. And these right. people drink wine at, for that cost for their just normal drinking wine. Because wow. they're, they're on such a different stratosphere of wealth that... You know, a five thousand dollar bottle of wine to that to them is like a twenty dollar bottle of wine to us.
1: Right. You know, I guess it doesn't matter when you have that kind of money, I guess it doesn't really But doesn't it seem bizarre? To spend that amount of money on it? Yeah. Just like as a con I mean, it's it's just, you
0: know, you drink it, it's gone. That's five thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, you know, it's kind of I I, th- I don't know if, if if I had got if I became that wealthy for some reason. I don't know if I don't know if I would be able to do that and still f- feel okay about it. Well, to me, it just yeah. seems so kind of wasteful and kind of I don't know. I don't know if it's gluttonous is the word, but it's just like ridiculous. Well, he he was explaining that it's a it's a very specific kind of
0: person who does that. Like he says, he knows plenty of billionaires who don't. You know, plenty of billionaires who use him just to kind of source much cheaper wine. You know, maybe a couple of hundred bucks a bottle or whatever, and they will shift large cases but you know he knows a lot of people who will drink at this level as well and i think okay. that's it's interesting and he was just, he's just saying that for them that's their expression of their wealth <laughs> you know and okay
1: um, i i don't know, like expression of their wealth i mean what does that even mean i i don't even know what I mean, what does it mean to express your wealth like well, i have to it's, show it's, people it's their, how wealthy well, i am or I have to show myself how that i have wealth that i can i, I guess okay um it's like, OK, if, if, right, here's the one thing. I guess the thing. No, no, no. money does see one thing. Here's one thing
0: I'm saying. No, no, but money, I want to say mo- one thing to you. Right, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, is if you because, you know, you talk about Premier League football and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you talk about the different the base league and the different classes. Right. So it, it, when you're in the lower leagues, football life is about a certain kind of thing. But as you move up through the leagues, it means something completely different, including the cost of the players, et cetera, et cetera. So you're kind of swimming with fish. You're swimming with other fish who are billionaires who drink bottles of wine for five thousand bucks a pop.
1: Yeah. Well, see, I don't know. Money doesn't really impress me. I, yeah. I've known a number of people worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and it just doesn't. It doesn't. You know, I've I i have not seen anything about it that really makes me really impressed by it. So, people have a lot of money or they don't. It's like, I'm not really like, wow, you know, good for you, I guess. You know, like, wow, that guy's a lot of money. He has a really big jet or thinks really, <laughs> bad. I could, who cares? No, I couldn't Usually, agree, more. I couldn't really agree dis- more. What's that? I couldn't agree more. I, f-
0: I feel exactly the same way. They really don't give a damn. Like, if, you I, know? If, if I was that wealthy, I would definitely not be one of the people who spent $50,000 on a bottle. Yeah. Of I food.
1: mean, people can spend money whatever they want. I don't really, you know, it's not that. It's just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess. I guess I just it just doesn't um, I don't know it just doesn't really impress me. Like I ever.
0: I know someone who's ridiculously wealthy, but he always travels coach on the plane, and you know to ask him why because it's good value.
1: Right? Yeah, now I don't you know it's like at the same time I don't know if I would if 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 I could you know ride first class and have a nicer seat maybe I'd do that. I mean there's there's something between like spending money on something that. Makes you a little more comfortable. It's another thing with just going over the top, just to like, especially if are like trying to show off, right? When you're trying to show off, impress people with wealth, that I find that annoying. Well, I find that kind of ridiculous.
0: I mean, I I, I think that drinking a fifty thousand dollar bottle of wine on your own would be absolutely sad, <laughs> and drinking yep. it with other people is just showing off. So it's just it doesn't make sense to me.
1: I don't know. Yeah
0: yeah so anyway, anyway, what's anyway so i thought you I thought you might find that just a little bit interesting because it 's not so much about the wine as just about the, the How general, do you know this guy He's it a, a friend of the family's um just i 've known him since i was since I was a kid really huh you um, right. he, he he travels all, he travels all around the world obviously for his job but um yeah, i mean he's,
1: he's, no, i could see from his job would be kind of interesting it would be interesting to go around the world trying to find really high quality wine or anything else, you know, dealing in like really high quality items and having to travel the world and go to interesting places and discover things. It's almost like you're on a, a you know, it's like you're Indiana Jones, but for wine. Yeah. But, but also how he finds new customers.
0: So the, the way that he finds new customers is basically his existing customers who are people like the Sultan of Brunei kind of people. Right. right? So they'll have a party and they're, Oh, we must invite, we must invite this guy. I'm not going to say his name. And so he'll then right. go to the party and he'll then, like, hobnob with people and then find, you know, one of these other rich people, you know, one of these other sultans or whatever will so, say, so what do you do? Oh, you know, I buy and sell fine wines. And, and that's basically how he meets his, his new customers. Right. So it's, right. It's kind of like wedding crashes on steroids.
1: Right. Yeah, <laughs> no, that makes sense. I mean, I guess if you're, if you meet someone like that and you have a lot of money and you're into wine, they would be a good person to know because then you just say, hey, we're looking for X, Y, and Z. And he's like, I can find that for you, you know. So, all right, well, let's move on to the next topic. Okay. Yeah. So I guess we should talk about my secret project. Yes. You think it's worth announcing at this point? I, I totally do. It is? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the name of the secret project is App Ignite. And I, I guess I started the uh, alpha test, the first alpha test, what, like two, two weeks ago or something like we'll, we'll
0: that? back up. Let's, let's talk about what the problem is. What's, what's okay. the problem that you're trying to solve and where does it come from?
1: the The goal of Night is to allow non-developers to be able to create um, web applications without having to learn how to program. Um, and I kind of I kind of liken it sort of to like say FileMaker Pro for the web. Okay. Uh, have you ever used FileMaker Pro? You know uh, yes, is?
0: I have, and it's a great yeah. a great program.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, for, actually, to be honest, I've never even used it. <laughs> I, I just remember back in the late '90s. I remember um, my wife Sandy telling me how she had used it and built some really sophisticated database application for her uh, the public relations company she used to work at. Yeah, and um, because at the time, I she she worked. I had hired her to work with my friend and I in our first startup, and she was. Uh, we needed some sort of custom, some sort of like almost like a custom relation management. Management system for what we were doing, and she was doing an Access, and she's like, "This is just a nightmare." You know? Yeah, this FileMaker, FileMaker, FileMaker Pro really way made better. That. This is so hard; nothing makes sense. It's taken forever, and she was just going on yeah. about how great FileMaker Pro was. And while I never used it, I got I, I, you know, I could get a pretty clear idea what it did and and how easy it was to use. And um, I always thought, you know, there should be something like that for the webs that. Power users, I mean, I'm not saying that your grandma is going to take it up and build, you know, a web app or something, but for people who are power users but aren't hardcore web developers, I, I think there's a big opportunity to um, create something, to have, to have some kind of a, an application that will allow them to express their ideas and say, okay, you know, it's something that's more okay. complicated than just some lists in a, in a spreadsheet, Right. And but it's not something that you know either they have access to in terms of resources to outsource or to build them or they and they don't have the ability to build themselves. Okay, so let's say for example you work inside of some corporation and you you know maybe you have you're in a department of five or ten or fifty people or whatever and you're like man I wish we had an app that could manage right. this information maybe you know it's something that's like a you know some kind of I don't know. Who knows? I mean, some kind of uh, inventory s- tracking system or customer client management thing or who knows? Because every business is different. Every business has all kind of different specialized information that certain people need access to and other people need to look at it in a different way. And just having that stuff stored in, ver- in a variety of spreadsheets or whatever is just, uh, you know, usually it's just a mess. Yeah. And and But a lot of times they're like, well, we could build a web application for this. Like, okay, so what, we're going to get twenty or $30,000 and outsource it to some company or cost even more, or try and outsource it to overseas, and then it turns into some big disaster and we're disappointed. Or we try and get our already overloaded ID department. Yeah, right, like they're going to do it because they already have other more important things that they're going to do. Well,
0: there, uh, there is, the, the thing is, I think that in, in the way that you're describing it, there's one difference that I see because... um there there is already a company that does does exactly what you're saying and um has put a lot of time and money into it and that would be salesforce uh because salesforce use their their platform to they also have another product called appforce
1: mm-hmm.
0: which basically allows you to do exactly what you're saying mm-hmm. um but i think the 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 neat thing about what you've got what you're doing is that it's it allows it's going to allow people to plug in a lot more custom code um and it, the whole, like, the skinning thing and just really making it your own, all that type of stuff, is going to be much, I think, better and have a much more um, freedom with with App Ignite.
1: Yeah, I mean, my goal is to create something that is mostly wizard-driven. Yeah. And that you can get through wizards, but you don't have to use the wizard if you don't want. to. So, like, the first time you go through creating an application... It's going to be like, okay, is this a public app, uh, an application, like where people register on it? Or is it a private internal application where you add users, where the administrator adds users? Um, or is it like a, you know, maybe something like simple public form? So, and then it goes through and asks more questions and kind of leads you through the process, Well, right? talk,
0: talk about some sample apps. Like what kind of apps will you be able to build with
1: it? Well, I'd like to be, I think you should be able to build something like Basecamp or Dig or uh, an invoice tracking, or a time tracking app, or some customer relationship management app. Um, you know, the a, a, a friend of mine, they, the Mark, the guy I'm building the um, the iPhone app with, yeah. And he needs, they need a web um, a, a web uh, site that allows that they're going to allow their customers to build out some very sophisticated data. System that go that feeds into the iPhone app. So, I can't really talk specifically about it. Okay, so but, you,
0: so app Ignite is is kind of um, versatile enough to actually feed into their iPhone
1: app. Actually, well, it's not building the iPhone app itself, but it's building the website where yeah, the API. Custom, but yeah, exactly. It built it, it. Not only did it generate the API, but it built all the forms and the list views and the object views and everything else. So he just sat down next to me and he's like, "Well, we have to be able to create these, and these objects have." You know, a one to many of this and a many to many of that, and da da da. And um, you know, he just did it. I just kind of told him. I said, "Oh, make sure that you know." I kind of let him through it a little bit because, obviously, as as you've seen in the alpha test, the UI is very sparse. There's no, <laughs> there's no real directions or anything. Well, it's so. a, it's a
0: very big problem to solve. And um, I mean, if it just for, I've I've looked at of what you've done so far, and I think that I can probably explain where it's at to the listeners quite well if I say something like. Imagine Ruby on Rails um or cake. Imagine that with a a, a wizzywig wizard and basically you you can build out so so you can start with your basic crud stuff, um, but then there's a whole bunch more uh, built on top of that. but that's where it's that's kind of where it's at now, a little bit more advanced than the basic uh, Ruby on Rails stuff,
1: yeah, so I mean, the engine does a lot more than that. So, like the generators, the stuff that generates the applications, yeah, um, um, will do more than what's shown in the API. So you, 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 by looking at the UI that you've experimented with, you've seen maybe twenty-five percent of what's built out. I understand yeah. Um, so it's even much more bare bones than what's actually there. I just need to spend more time doing that. The problem is, I had to the last ever someone that started the alpha test is that there were a couple of types of, of, of relationships. Because I had to build the, the object relational manager, right. the ORM itself. Because, and the reason I felt I had to do that, I went and looked at all the ORMs, and they just were not as, as flexible and as comprehensive as I needed it to be to do everything I wanted it. And so I had to build it from scratch. And while it's painful and it took more time, it now gives me sort of the confidence that if there's anything I want this thing to do, I can make it do. You know, it's not like there's some magical you know, code that I'll never understand and I just have to work around as I can make it do what I want. Now, but but doing that, there was a few types of relationships that, you know, they didn't work, that w- weren't handled quite right. And the, all the alpha testers came in and they did the exact same two or three things that it didn't support. And it just happened <laughs> that they weren't trying to create real apps. It was just like, well, what's the first thing you do? Like the first model that sort of implicitly created is the user model. Yeah. Right. Or the muse, user data type, right? You know, username, email, password, or whatever. That's just sort of automatically created. And the first thing everybody did is they created some, you know, second model or data type called foo or whatever. And then they started creating a relationship back to user. Yeah. That object, but in fact, the relationships to user are already implicitly created on the, when you um, create or modify an object. So already had these sort of implicit relationships. And while you can create additional relationships, it didn't deal with aliases. For you know, model multiple model to model relationships. I hadn't built that in, but everybody did that. <laughs> I think, that, yeah, no, yeah,
0: absolutely. I, th- I think the, the first thing that you should kind of build with it is is tools that you need, such as Bug Track, for example. It, could it be, I mean, it, could it easily build Bug Track system?
1: Yeah, in fact, I already did one. I already, I already just created one for myself, like an issue tracker. Okay, it um, has like a description and a priority and a status and a you know. A category and things like that. Each one of those are are have you know our lists or sort of it's like a reference relationship, and uh, that all works fine. And um, yeah, so you know, and the I, I, first thing, one thing I was kind of focusing on on is having to go in and fix those issues that you and a few of the other um, uh, testers found. Now, what's interesting, so I. I and in an, the initial alpha test, I invited you know maybe, I think like eight or nine of friends of mine. Now, not all of them are are really developers or even really good alpha testers because yeah. they don't have any need for it. And if you don't really have a need for something, it's hard to get someone to really use it in any real way. Yeah. But I invited three of our TechZing listeners who um, who are I guess some of them are more active commenters. I, I invited um, um, Philippe uh, Monet. Is that, La critique. Is that? The Critique, right? <laughs> um, I invent. I invited uh, Bops. Okay. You know how do you, how do we spell Bams? Bobs. Bams. Uh,
0: uh, Belinda, uh I've forgotten. Oh, More Belinda, Belinda Abusing or something. I've forgotten. Which is not even his real no. name because he's a dude. His name is Fred.
1: Yeah. Or and um and also uh um I'm blanking on his name. Australian art, second guess. Um, Sam. Sam. And all three of them were. Fantastic alpha testers because they all actually tried to build something. They all broke it, (laughs) mostly (laughs) the same way, and they all wrote back very thoughtful, some very thoughtful feedback on not only what they saw but also on what they were, how they were sort of envisioning what the product was for and where it was going to go. And so it was really useful. So I really appreciate the uh, help that they uh, they put in, and I think if you're interested in. if you're interested in on, on, uh, being an alpha tester and, and um, braving the, uh, the rickety uh, state that it's in, then uh, send an email to... Uh, podcast, at,
0: podcast at techzinglive.com. That's right.
1: And, uh, and, uh, just, uh, and I will add you to our alpha test list. Um,
0: oh, oh, and just, just since we're saying that, if you want to attend the MASH API webinar, which um, I'm going to be presenting MASH API as if you were a bunch of uh, investors... Um, I've, we've already got 25 people signed up for that. So once again, if you want to see the mash API concept, which I think could end up being an open source concept now, um, just send an email to podcast at textinglive.com Anyway, sorry, Jason, back to
1: you. Yeah. So a little bit more on Epic night, if you don't mind, I have a couple of things. I'd oh like well, to- yeah. Lots
0: more. I want to, I really want to get into the nuts of it.
1: So it's kind of interesting. so what, the, the way I'm thinking about it too is okay there's 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 sort of the, the my focus is on the power users the power user non-programmer group so and
0: basically people who can use a program like filemaker pro people who yeah. really know how to tweak can, firefox or something use, like that yeah
1: they can use photoshop or whatever yeah. or maybe they even kind of programmer but not really a web programmer yeah. they're like yeah you know i because I mean, it takes a lot to build a full-fledged working web app Right. And, it, and it at the very least, takes a lot of time, not only a lot of it, I have expertise to make something work well. And so, but then there's also the programmers who are like, hey, you know, I'd like to build something. I have some an idea for something, but I don't really want to devote the next few months to building it. If I could generate like all of it or 80 or 90% of it in, you know, well, that's a half us. hour. Yeah. That's exactly. us who
0: wants to basically build lots of different businesses and try and build businesses that trickle in a couple of dollars a month each.
1: Yeah. And then you say, okay, well, you know, there's like a few custom, really custom queries I need to be right? and there's a few things that I need to add in. There'll be hooks, uh, or ways that you can write some custom functions, um, so that it for, sort of follows the philosophy that easy things are easy and hard things are possible. All right, so okay. that's that's sort of my focus, and uh, you know, it's going to be a, obviously a work in progress for a while. It's a very big problem, but I wanted to do something that sort of scratched my own itch. You know, um, I th- I can
0: I can envision it taking a good couple of years to mature into something really usable.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I I the when I when I started on, I said, okay, well, this is like a five year project. I mean, this is something not five years to release something that's usable, but it's something that I could work on with for five years and not be like, oh, this is so boring and stupid. Why am I working on this? Yeah, you know, project. I mean, it's something that I think is cool, that I think is fun, I think that is extremely challenging um but i think also represents a good business if i can get it to work right i mean a lot of companies have tried to do this and just have failed i mean you remember uh, coghead yeah yeah so they they built like a flex type of thing that was all flash based and that was all like this drag and drop like you um pointing you're creating icons like programming using flow diagrams and stuff and i i think that's just way way too hard i mean you want it to be kind of wizard like and just like asking questions and if it's not and even the next step beyond wizard-like is okay, you're just setting some properties and some values. You know, step, step, step. Like you're in Gmail and you're like, oh, I'm adding labels or I'm adding some filters. Right? I don't have to learn anything. I'm just going to the series of tab pages and go, okay, well, that's easy. (laughs) And that's, but once you've gone through the wizard or a variety of different wizards. It could be an application wizard, or they could create new data type or model wizard, or they could create new view wizard or add property wizard. But after you've done it once, you're like, oh, I don't really need the wizard. I can just look at the property tabs or something.
0: Okay, so how long would it take uh, a new person to build, like who's relatively proficient, who understands the system, to build an unskinned dig clone?
1: I think, you know, let's, let's give it like a few more months for it has all these pieces in place, then hopefully they should be able to generate something in, you know, 15, 20 minutes. I mean, so the you, can build, of, you can basically
0: build the essence of something like Dig and you'd be able to build a rating system and comments and all that stuff right? in 15 minutes.
1: Or Basecamp or Twitter or a simple social network like Facebook, like I have friends and I have photos and I have a wall and this, you know. And once you understand, once someone goes, oh, I understand what a many-to-many relationship is, or is a has-many relationship is, I understand... What a pro- difference between a property and a relationship is okay. That's obvious. And then just boom, boom, boom. And then what I'll do is I'll have pre-built a lot of different applications, so you can take those and like there might be a simple project project management app. You can just say, look at this. You can look at the code, and you could either clone it and just okay, I'm going to clone this and I'm going to go in and change it, or you can maybe walk through a tutorial and say, okay, this is how we built, you know, this kind of app. You know. So will you be able to do like have a property for every? So, uh,
0: well, you probably haven't thought of this, but I was just thinking that one thing that might be easy is every row you could have, like, a property <laughs> that said has comments or not, right? Right. Uh, and if people just check that property, then by default that thing can have comments.
1: A property can have comments. No. Uh,
0: so every row. So let's say, for example, it was dig. So you were submitting, you were submitting a link or whatever. So you had your data field. Well, here's, here's a question. Right. If if i if you're creating a dig or something like that, can you name all of the different fields to whatever you want? Yeah. Okay.
1: Every so- field can have its own name and every in every model has its own name and a model when a model is referenced by another model, it can have an alias. So for instance, like when you when when um a user creates an object, well, that object say points to the user, but you can call it owner, for instance, or creator. Or, okay author.
0: so so if i'm doing um okay so i'm building dig i've got the user i've got the user table set up already so the next thing i do is i add my bookmarks table which is just basically the links that people can submit and mm-hmm. then i add my comments table is that how it mm-hmm. works and then each of the comments can be tied to any individual bookmark like how do, is it because you you set up the relationships you set up uh one yeah. to many right is that the way it works right
1: right you'd say okay so a um a uh a bookmark, a bookmark model has a, uh, a one-to-many, comments. so it would have a belong, so it would have a uh, has-many comment, Okay, and, and then therefore generate all the forms and, and views and all the relationships and everything based on that. And so does that,
0: does that mean then that there would automatically be uh, some kind of user input to add comments to the bookmark model?
1: That's right. So when you look at a bookmark, there'll automatically be a, you know, add comment, and if it's an if it's a many to many then you can add a comment or create a new one or you know there's a kind of facility for doing that and yes so the answer is so yes so what about if
0: you want to in your system you also want an administrator of the system so this person creates a dig and they want they want to be an administrator but they also want other users and the administrator can go and delete and moderate comments how does that work
1: right right so every model has um has, I guess, um, there's, there's what, there's, there's view, edit, delete, I think there's one other, I'm just blanking on it right now. Yeah. There's four different types of actions that you can take. Right. For any type of model, and those can be assigned, um, you know, anyone, registered user, uh, account, so like Basecamp might have an account, like someone sets up an, an account, and then there's people who are part of that account. Right. Um, or administrator. So there's four okay. different types. So, you know, you could say, well, like in Dig, only you can, any, any registered user can add a link, a bookmark, okay. or a uh, comment. But you can only edit your own comments, um, or your own link, right? Like you edit in like yeah. 10 seconds, like, oh, crap, I misspelled something, right? Only an administrator probably can delete a link, only administrator can maybe add a section. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of making it up. But, right, I mean, I think, I think, I think I, you know, I and I were talking about it, and I said, all right, I think this will encapsulate 95% of what people want to do in the first sort of well, it, stage of it. The only thing is it doesn't deal,
0: like, from, because, because of Mash API, I know this, it doesn't, that, that approach doesn't deal with the social aspect. So um, you're probably also going to want to set up groups because, for example, when people build an app, like a social app, let's say they're building Facebook, right. um, then each, each one of your users needs to have you know, friend permissions to be able to say, okay, I want this person to be able to see my profile. I don't want this person. So that's like a, sub, a subclass of permissions on a per user basis that's purely related to the app, not related, right. to, not related to the owners of the app.
1: No, you're, you're absolutely right. In fact, we, we, I thought about that. I was using Face, I was, you know, because I had listed about 20 different sort of web applications I wanted to th- kind of run my mind through every time we we're adding a feature. Like, okay, so what is, you know, Basecamp is one example. Twitter was an example, uh, you know, whatever. I, Facebook was an example of different types of, you know, a CRM was an example, a bug tracker was an example, a, you know there are all these kind of things that could stretch what, you can, what it means to be a user or have permissions or what a view looks like or whatever. You
0: can do a lot with a basic group system. I mean, mm-hmm. basically, if you take if you take a queue from um, Unix and the mm-hmm. way the way groups work, and and so basically, you can have multiple permissions per group, but also a group itself can act as a kind of permission statement.
1: Yeah. So in fact, that was when I said account. That was like the group. So that was a type of permission system. So I came up with a concept of permission system that right. the app has. Is it uh, a public or private, or is it a group-based or something? I can't remember. That was something I hadn't 100% fleshed out on the group basis. <laughs>
0: hey, listen, but, it's going to be emergent. This this thing's going to happen as as your users use it, as they need more features. And when the first person comes along and tries to build a Facebook, then they're going to be bugging you like 24-7. Well,
1: yeah. Well, so Mark, who's using it to build the uh, the 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 web version for his mobile app, yeah. right? He's like, you know, he's actually used it, and he's actually building it and using it, managing all the data and adding all this stuff, and I'm, like, super excited watching him. Like, yeah. the day the first day of the Alpha test, he's like, well, first of all, working in the iPhone app, and he's like, Jason, uh, it's, like, I, it's like, so we got to build, like, a website. Like, well, we need this, and it has these kind of options. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's going to take... Munster bill. I'm like, you know what? Let's just use apigite. Yeah. We'll just generate it. And so he's like, well, can I use it? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. So he's sitting there and he's using it. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of guiding. I'm like, whoa, whoa, don't, don't, don't press know, that. Like, sure. <laughs> don't click that. You know, everything's kinda, gonna explode. I'm you know, like, yeah. But you know, he did it, right? And there, not, there was like, you know, I think it ran into like a dozen bugs. I'm sort of scribbling down in my notes. Oh yeah, I gotta do that or come through this. But he got it work, and he's just like shaking his head. He's like, oh, this is awesome. I love this, <laughs> you know. And uh, so I'm getting really excited, right? So that's just what you want to hear when you write software is your first. Users like you know their eyes are lighting up and they're like oh I love this, but then he goes okay he's like you know my one request is a way that we could have a property type being an image. I need to be able to upload images because what he did is he had his he, there, there are images involved with these things and so he's like I'm like all right well so just email me all your images I'll upload to the server and what you just type in the URL for them right yeah. so it's real kind of hacked. So then the next week in addition to or so into fixing bugs that's all right so I add the image concepts. You can upload an image and then you can have a set for, for your image property. You can say, okay, for this property, um, I, you're going to have these three or four default um, uh, thumbnail sizes. Okay. And they can be rectangular or square. And it knows how to automatically size them. So it's like, we got a medium size, we got a small, we got like a micro size, you know, nice. for like lists or something. Kind of. Like if you look at Facebook, they have like three or four different kinds of icon sizes. Some yeah. Are that maintain the aspect ratio and the kind of rectangular, and some are just squares, like you know, profile pictures and stuff. And so it automatically sizes and converts, and automatically creates all those thumbnails, and it all just works completely seamlessly. So you just create an image, and if you and you have the default image sizes, which will work for probably ninety five percent of the time. If you're like, oh, you know, we have this default one hundred ninety two by one hundred ninety two square that we want to have, just change it, it'll automatically create. Them. I think
0: that that um, some of the listeners of texting will be really into seeing this product released. And feeding back into it. Because it's the kind of product that that helps people like us. I mean, I would love this product to exist because I would love to be able to just put all the little ideas that I have online really quickly. Because a lot of times I have ideas that aren't very technically challenging. But it's just a pain in the ass to, you know, establish a new framework to install a new version of Cake and to start coding, et cetera, et cetera. If I could just build out the models and relationships and the you know, let's say it got me 70% of the way there. Right. Or even 60% of the way there. That's that's a win win for me, you know, because then I can just kind of fill in the little details. As long as you make it easy for me to put plugins like it should be possible to do anything I need. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's the, my goal. I mean, obviously, that'll be, a, you know, something that I'll have to evolve. And it's like today, like Mark was like, OK, you know, we 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 needed some geolocation data. Okay, so we need a special, we needed to be able to determine, um, uh, given an address, um, we need to be able to pull from a da- the database all of the addresses that were within a certain, like, you know, within two miles or whatever the specified radius was. Okay? Yeah. So we had, we had that all set up, but I just need to write a custom query. So I just, you have, like, your generated, you know, item or something. Let's say, let's say it was called our location. Okay? And I just called it location X, which I just extended location. And I added one additional query and then automatically got pulled into the API and automatically generated all the data. And it took me like five minutes and boom, got pulled in the mobile app. And it was just like magic. I mean,
0: I think you should even take it as far as being able to have, like every user on your system gets um, a siloed server, like a virtual server or whatever, mm-hmm. with your software. And they can literally upload. They can upload scripts. Like they could upload, I don't know, Drupal or whatever, any script. And if they if they have the experience on how to hook into that script, they can basically you know you create some kind of API class that's literally fill in the blanks. so you fill in the blanks to your API class and then that calls other functions that they may may have been using for the last five years or whatever, and then it it kind of talks to your code via hooks.
1: yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking i mean i I had I mean it was it's not all, all completely clarified my mind, so right. I'm thinking there would be like, well, there's you there could be a number of events you know, like before insert or after insert this record or, you know, on format this property on before on after, you know, any, any page, number and, of and page calls. loads
0: and things like that. Right. And
1: yeah. You could probably have hundreds of them that are potentially available and you could say, okay, I want to automatically, you know, you know, sort of like print an event handler for some particular um event. Right. And um, do that kind of stuff, and I think there might be like a three or four different ways that you could interface with it. Some might be really easy. That you know, we might have some kind of way that you can just write JavaScript to just write some simple formula or some simple formatting or something really simple logic. Or if you want to actually call like a you know PHP or or Python or Ruby class, or you actually want to make a REST call, or you know I don't know, or do a plugin system. Like say there might be like three or four different levels that we scale up, so that you know if it's not like built in through just a you know a wizard or sending a property, but you don't have to go all well. If you want to do that, now you got to install a whole new cake and do all this stuff. People are like, yeah, you know, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> right? You want to have it scale up. Look, like, oh, well, actually, just really, this one property is just a calculation of these three other properties and has a couple if-thens. Okay, fine. Well, you can write that in four lines if you know how to write, you know, a simple code, a little bit of code. Now, one thing that you're talking about, which is interesting, but I, I've never done this, so I don't know a whole lot about it, which is like sort of the virtual server. Right. Approach. So, what I did is for every time you create an application, it creates a custom, you know, creates like sort of like a, a subdomain and it creates a, um, well, actually, it doesn't create a subdomain, it just creates a folder and a subdomain maps to that folder yeah. and it creates its own, and you have your own database with your own, you know, user privileges on that database. So, you don't have access to anyone else's database or anybody else's folders. But, for added security, you know what ideally, I guess you'd create some kind of virtual server that has all of that, so it really locks people into their domains. Well, so nobody...
0: yeah, what you what you do is you you basically use um, you know, actual virtual hosts per per client, and then right. you'd set them up with it. I mean, basically, you would be like a hosting provider. It would be exactly, to be honest, you should probably kind of build it on pre existing um, control panel software because you know most control panels. Already have APIs that you can plug directly into. So you could right. you could license some control panel software and then it comes preloaded with um, the App Ignite code base. Right. Um, that's well, kind of a long term thing though.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I want to, because that sounds kind of, um, I don't know. I mean, what I would like to do, I see, I don't, I haven't, done, I've done none no research in this area and I don't know a whole <laughs> lot about like server administration. Right, so right. anyone out there who knows about this can be like, Jason, 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 all you need to do is X. <laughs> so, uh, if you do know, you have some ideas Feel free to send me an email or a comment. Well, it's but just,
0: I mean, with with. I'm
1: um, sure. Uh, but I was going to say is I'm sure there's just, there's probably some free or open source Unix tools that'll kind of yeah you know provision certain sort of like virtual server that you know okay well anything that has this folder set has this permission set has this database and can access other things and that would be sufficient for the yeah most part.
0: well I mean that's it so basically you add an you, you, via the API via the control panel API you add a new Subdomain, And what it does is it creates a Unix user, it creates the folders, it gives the folders the permissions of the Unix user, it gives the Apache the permissions of the same user, etc, etc. So it silos each person into their own server system. And then you just, you know, tack on your code base. So it's, it isn't right. a huge big deal. But, I mean, I can understand why it's something further down
1: the line, right? <laughs> yeah, what's well, the kind of thing that's like, I don't know, I've never done it, and I was like, well, I can get to that later, right? Yeah, Let's just yeah. get the system working, and then we can put up real serious security walls between apps to really lock things down. But, you know, from my first, for my, you know, alpha tests and beta tests, I mean, you know, I think pretty people will be pretty well behaved and aren't going to be hopefully trying to wreck the system. I mean, you never know. But I'll do my best to, to uh, keep everything locked down as I can without using that. But I will get to that as soon as possible. Because one of the things I want to be, very, of course, very careful with is security and and um, backing up people's data. Because that's obviously a nightmare if you lose your data.
0: Okay, so for anyone who's new to the show, um, you may think that we've been talking about Jason's project, App Ignite, for a long time. But I'll tell you, we've been waiting for it for even longer. We've been... <laughs> we've been waiting for this thing for like nine months to actually appear so it's it's a it's a phenomenal day that it's been named and that it's really out there and it really exists and all that time he really was working on something
1: yeah well so here's (laughs) the thing we started out you know guyon guyon has been kind of my partner in crime for a while right he um we were working, he, I had contacted him years ago back when I first started working on Prizo and that was like 2005 and he just worked as a consultant and we would work together on that. And we got to be good friends and he's just a really bright guy and a great developer and it's just a lot of fun working with him. And um, after Prizo sort of ran out of money, it turned out it was just about the same time where he was in the process of moving his family from uh, London to uh, Norway, Oslo, I think. Right. So yeah. Oslo. And so he was kind of out of, touch for a few months just you know busy moving and but then he got back in touch with me he's like okay so what's uh, what's going on I'm ready to get back involved doing something you know I mean he got a really cool job but he had fun just working on other stuff and at the time I, I was still doing some of the automated trade I'd, I'd kind of put my foot back in the automated trading world and so we 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 collaborated he worked on some of that stuff with me for a little while but then I and then what I was doing at the time didn't really pan out and I said all right why don't we do something on the web? Let's build something really cool. Right. <laughs> and I had a couple ideas, but App Ignite was one of them. And I kind of, you know, the, the, this other idea I had, um, we were weighing them back and forth, and it just turned out that App Ignite was more in line with what, where our expertise was. Like, we really knew kind of how to solve the problem. Right, or at least how to approach it. I mean, it was it's a very hard problem. A lot I don't know how to do about. It. There's things about it like, well, I wonder how I'm going to do that. <laughs> well, a lot but, of
0: people have tried it. This is the thing. I mean, it's not you're not the first person. That, as you said, um, other people have tried it. So that's why I think it's a fantastic thing to win if you
1: can do it. Yeah, you know, and I'm you know I'm just I'm just trying to build. I'm trying to build something that is the way I'd I'd want it to be. I want it to be really easy and really simple. And uh, you know, and I'm I want it to be like a bank ATM in the sense that nobody goes at the bank ATM to do some kind of transfer some money or withdrawal cash or deposit. And they're like, Oh dude, I just don't know how to do it. You know, it's like <laughs> it leads you through the wizard. I mean, you can't screw it up almost. Right now I'm, I want app Ignite ultimately to have it for new users who want to go through the wizard process. It's that simple, right? you know, and you know, but for, for people who, once you've gone through the wizards a few times who I don't, you know, it's like, I don't need to go through the stupid wizard, <laughs> you know, just let me, populate this stuff. Now, one thing I will say is, it was interesting, um, Sam had some great... Sam Howley, that's Sam's last name. Sam Howley had some great uh, feedback. He said, you know, he's like, I'm not sure model and view and relationships are the best names. You might want to call it data type and you might want to, you know, call it some other stuff, which I might, you know, I'm yeah. just by calling... Because I call it model and view and relationship. You know, which is probably real. I mean, I, I was like, you know, is it data type or is it table... <laughs> Or is it? You know, I don't know. Is it view or is it like page? Should I call a view a page? We should I call it a form. I mean, I don't know. Access called everything a form. Jason, you know, I, I think
0: I think we've done um, a significant amount of time on this.
1: <laughs> I just want. No, I think we should keep
0: going. <laughs> is there is there anything that you want to finish up uh, with on this? Just because I know that no, we're we're
1: going to we'll be putting be a lot on. of time
0: in the, into this over the next uh, few shows. So.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm just excited about it. So I just you know can go on about it. So yeah, we'll. Um, we you know, talk about it in the future weeks. But the last thing I'll just say is if, you're, uh, if you think this is something you'd like to play around with, please just send an email to podcast at techzing.com, and I'll add you to the… Uh, Te- the Te- uh, oh, to- Techzinglive.com. Techzinglive.com, that's right.
0: Because uh, the techzing.com is owned by someone completely different, and if you send it there, we won't get it. <laughs> right, right.
1: Okay, so what's next?
0: Um, did you see the mother of all demos? The mother of all demos, no. I, this is just a quick little thing. It's not, it's not a big discussion point, but I just, if, if anyone hasn't seen this, I seriously recommend Googling the mother of all demos and have a look at what's there because it's essentially a, a demo done in 1968 by some guys at Stanford where they basically, in 1968, they demo, and it's filmed, pretty much all of our current technology that we have today. They demo the internet, they demo hypertext, they demo uh, search systems, link lists. They demo shared shared screen sessions. <laughs> they demo Skyping. I mean, it's just unbelievable.
1: All this stuff built by these Stanford guys in 1968. And it's- Oh, what was the guy's name? He's I, I blanking me. He's like a really famous, the, um, the main guy who uh, led that whole thing. Um,
0: I can tell you in one sec. I'll just go to the page.
1: Um, Doug
0: Engelblatt. Engelbert. Yeah, Engelbert, 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 yeah, and yep. it yep. it really is amazing. Like it's it's an hour long demo, but it's split up into little clips where they show you all the different things. And it, oh, I forgot to mention, like it's it's got drag and drop and it's got mouse. You know, it's just unbelievable. In 1968,
1: yeah, like, yeah, just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, he is the guy who's pretty he, obviously he sort of he sort of, uh, um, you know, he is the ultimate visionary. <laughs> However,
0: it was, it was very boring and I can understand why, why people at the time would look at this and go, yeah, so what? Because it was just, it wasn't like if Steve jobs was doing it, you know, Steve jobs could like sell, sell, you know, snow to the Eskimos. Right. Right, (laughs) Right. He made the iPad look so amazing. Right. But this guy, when he's
1: demoing it, it just looks like—is it on the web? Do you have a link to it? Yeah, yeah, it's um... i would like to watch that. I've read about it numerous times in different books. So be, <laughs> just just Google the it. mother of all demos. It's it's the top of all demos. So let's—we got two other things to talk about that are really we should try and fit in here. Okay, let's go create. on. The first is um, since we're talking about Steve Jobs, is the Apple. Oh yeah, you know, the uh, the, uh, the was it the, the new terms, iPod, the new terms SDK. of service? Yeah, the terms, terms of service. Of- Apple terms of service for the it's for i for the iphone i guess iphone sdk terms of service
0: iphone 4 sdk
1: yeah yeah right and so the big thing about it was i guess it was section like what 331 yeah. and it basically says that they were going to disallow any sort of cross compiling so things like Epic potentially Night. things like uh, like um uh app accelerator yeah. titanium yeah which on uh, on itouch or what's it phone gap mono touch yeah all these things that would allow you to build iPhone apps or Android apps, and things like that, using things like JavaScript or C Sharp or other things than Objective-C and Java for um, Android were going to be disallowed. Yeah. And, the, the, and Hacker News basically blew a gasket. Oh, no, they, they, but <laughs> Apple hasn't pulled <laughs> Apple, back from... Hacker this. News almost shut down. <laughs> it was like, everyone at Hacker News was like, what? Are you insane? Everybody... Flipped out, including me. I was like, what? I mean, the amount of time I've already put into, you know, building this iPhone app, using, learning and using titanium, I was like, oh, that just sucks.
0: Well, you know what? I mean, I got shut down by Twitter. Now you, you're you getting shut down by Apple. I mean, that's what it is. You know, when you work in a wall garden in that way, what do you expect?
1: Yeah, well, it looks like according to I, I, I Two things. One, um, Jeff Haney, um, the CEO of uh, of Accelerator, wrote on their blog that they they're pretty sure they're in full, or they're they're convinced that they're in uh, full compliance, that they're not it's not going to be a problem for them, and they're also, I guess, Phone Gap, which is very similar, I think, to Titanium. In, um, it, they got an email from uh, Apple saying they're 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 clear. But they're okay. Did you see the the, the blog oh, um
0: the, the kind of response to this on Daring Fireball where basically the what guy Is that
1: John Gruber? Is that the guy? Yeah,
0: and, and he's basically arguing he can he's arguing Apple's Apple's point on this. And it kind of mm-hmm. makes you know, there's some there's some sense to be made um with it, which is that you know and, and this is this is the reason why Accelerator could pass and why other ones can't. Because because Abcelerator is essentially focusing very specifically on mapping JavaScript functions to get you every last little, uh, so you can squeeze all the juice out of the Apple OS, right? So essentially, right. W- w- when you create your app, it is very specifically for their iPhone, yeah?
1: Yeah, no, okay. So, you know, you can write, there are things that are might be supported by Android, and you kind of have to fork it. You're know, like, if Android yeah. then do this, or if exactly. you know, iPhone, you know, do that. Otherwise, it's, you know, the common API, we, which is.
0: And, and that's what Apple don't want. Apple don't want a scenario where someone like Adobe has, you know, 100% of the market share, or not you know, not 100%, but a very large percentage of the market share, where they have this thing creating, let's say, a less than optimal experience on the iPhone. But just because developers are using that, then essentially Adobe would have them, you know, over a bench. Do you know what I'm
1: saying? Yeah, yeah. And of course, they, don't want, they just don't want Flash, right, on the iPhone of any, in any way. Well, but, but they're, why, they're, they're at war for with Adobe in some way, right? I'm it, not really clear on what they're. But it doesn't about, make
0: sense. Like, listen, they're at war with Adobe, right? But Adobe are the reason why Apple are where they are. If you think about well, it, probably
1: right? they're, well. They're probably both there together. I mean, right? It was like uh, Adobe's products, um, Photoshop, and everything well, else. Yeah. Is a I mean,
0: fo- fo- draw to the Mac, but Photoshop and Quark Express are huge reasons why the Apple is where it is today. Mm-hmm. Right. And then and then there's other there's other software that's built by Adobe as well and Flash as well. You know, it was it was a really big deal. It, it started as a director. And um, I mean, basically. I just don't see how I don't understand how Apple can turn around in some ways and do this when they've had such a kind of handheld partnership for all these years.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. There was an interesting article that someone pointed to. I think it was on the Hacker News comments, and they, they it was an uh, article that Joel Spolsky wrote years ago called Strategy Letter Five. I think it was. Right. And and I guess one of the key things about it. I mean, I read it like a week ago, so I'm I'm, I'm not quite as I'm gonna be a little fuzzy on some of the details, but essentially, it's like you want to commoditize your compliments. So, if a good example is he uses that, if if your complements to your product are cheap, then there's going to increase demand for your product. So, for instance, if flights to Miami are cheap, then the hotel prices can go up because there'll be more people flying to Miami, right? right? right. The complement to the hotels are going to be the plane flights. And so you want to commoditize your complements to get the price down low, and that'll increase the demand for your product, which you can then... Raise the price of okay, and if you so so the idea is I guess what you know in in terms of this commoditizing the actual you know the mobile app the mobile devices make them all the same like ah you can run the same app whether you use an you know it's some Motorola or Apple thing you don't want you don't want your product to become a commodity obviously and it's I guess it's much easier in general to commoditize um or has been much easier to commoditize hardware than it is software. So like video cards can be commoditized like direct using like direct x, right? DirectX, yeah, that's yeah, all, you know, get a little faster one or whatever, but you know it's anyone to work or how microsoft sort of commoditized um uh pc compatible computers or you know whatever the the first so, idea. So how was. does
0: this relate to the adobe and um,
1: Okay, so the idea that I guess what the suggestion is, at least from the guy who initially linked the article, is that all this is is Steve Jobs trying to prevent the iPhone um, from becoming a commoditized device. It's just like, hey, you know, you can write these cool apps but they run equally well on Android or iPhone or whatever. They all do the same thing. It's just yet another, just like another cell phone. Like everybody has a million cell phones who have Nokia or this or that. All right, all so he's trying to keep it special. You want to keep it special in a commodity, so... I know. I don't know if the, I mean. Obviously, there's there's more at play than that. Um, you know, part whatever their war is with Adobe in particular, but I'm sure that Steve Jobs has some awareness. <laughs> I'm sure he has a quite a bit of awareness of that dynamic. So, I thought that was really interesting article, Strategy Letter Five. So, um, which I'll put a link to that in the, in the notes. But it's also to do with the fact that
0: Steve Jobs wants so much control over the way people express themselves uh on on the different platforms of apple and just the general user experience of apple and um the thing about the thing about flash is because you have to create all the controls Mm -hmm. like everything just looks kind of different and Mm -hmm. it it really wouldn't be hooking into the to the os in the same way you know yeah
1: like well you know steve jobs is a perfectionist right he has a very very particular taste and he wants to maintain it and so he's well, going to do It's kind yeah. of frustrating if you're if you're going through the app store and you're using all the different apps and then you use the flash
0: one and it's got a completely different navigation and menu system and it just doesn't mm-hmm. work in a similar way mm-hmm. i mean but i like i make it sound as if i'm anti-flash <laughs> and i don't mean to be i've, I've worked yeah, with flash a lot um so just you know don't get too stressed if you're a flash enthusiast that's what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> no, I think you should send Justin an email. Nasty email. Make yeah. him feel bad. Um, Jason at textinglive.com Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Um. <laughs> but anyway. But the 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 back, But the thing is, really, was really scary though. Is I have to say is that shutting down Titanium would have sucked. Oh, and it would have. I mean, it would have, have sucked said, for them. All that effort. Are you my app accelerator? Just done. Well, you know I guess they had they could do their desktop apps, but the mobile thing was really looking like a big opportunity for them well what
0: what about what about Twitter, who basically have gone one step further right? I, mean, I don't know whether you've been following this, but mm-hmm. twitter have started started filling up the gaps in their system because what the way what Twitter's done is they've offered this api and everyone's come along and built great products on top of Twitter to fill up the gaps right mm-hmm. to get to to do great clients, et cetera, et cetera so now twitter has it's bought a Twitter client it's bought the iPhone Twitter client Tweety right and it's uh, probably going to buy a whole bunch of other key pieces that mm-hmm. pe- that people have been building, which then means and and the reason why it's doing this is so that it can it can take control of ads and all that kind of stuff. but it means that lots of people who've been building stuff based on twitter now that now that the gap is filled, you know the general the general punters aren't going to go out looking for an alternative because it's just filled by Twitter. They'll just, you know, yeah. It. I
1: mean, I, I, again, Spils- Joe Spolsky read an article about, wrote an article about that at some point. He was talking about like they describe the processes like picking up nickels and dimes in front of a, a steamroller <laughs> when you're like building sort of like feature extensions on some big existing product. Yeah. That you know you might be able to make some money, and sometimes it works out really well. But and you, you get bought by the company. But if they decide to compete with you and just you know, by roll it out themselves, which they may at some point, especially if it's just like a missing feature or a substandard feature.
0: Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't know whether you'd call a, like an iPhone Twitter client a missing feature. I don't know. I mean, I mean you know, you want to use pretty...
1: they're going to want Twitter on everything. And so they might say, well, look, I'm not a, you but, know, but, I'm but not. But look,
0: I mean, they've all, okay, what I'm saying is this they've already got, you know, hundreds of different iPhone clients, hundreds of different people competing for the market so uh, there's already like an evolution uh, an evolutionary um survival of the fittest is taking place with those twitter clients and people are going to use the best ones but now they've snapped one up and like at at the cost of 99 other guys and 99 other businesses like isn't that going to co- isn't that going to basically i'll tell you what's going to happen it's going to create a backlash those 99 other businesses are going to club together and they're going to create a new open source twitter and twitter's going to become redundant Right. That's what I think.
1: Well, I got another topic I want to talk about r- before we run out of time. Okay, shoot. Swarm. <laughs> it's time to talk about Swarm. Okay. So you created a game, you invented a game some years back that is sort of a cross between, I mean, it's not really, but it's kind of a cross between, say, chess checkers and backgammon. Is the way I look at it. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I have to say I was very impressed. It's very clever... Um, idea. It's really looks really slick. Um, and you built it how long ago? Or you invented it or came? I, the I
0: guess probably around three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago. It's another one of my uh, crazy side projects
1: that you never really released.
0: I yeah, I built the whole thing out, and and I actually built it in Flash and and created a. Well, first first of all, just creating the game in its first place takes a lot of effort. You know, you've you've got to put like. Thousands of hours into playing it and working out the different strategies and the different rules, mm-hmm. and then turning it into a piece of software as well is another thing. So I kind of got, I'd say, eighty percent down that path.
1: Right. But oh, I was really well, the first time you showed we showed it to me. it originally, I think like six, eight months ago, right? Yeah. And what was it that got you sort of interested again in? Well, okay, okay, you know,
0: the that's question? a great question. Um. So what I wanted with Swarm, what I've always wanted is a proper board game. Like I've always wanted it to be like, you know, a really nice, like you'd like you get a nice chess set or a nice backgammon set. I wanted yeah. to get a nice Swarm set. So my idea was to just put it on the back burner until I had enough money to go over to China and work with some product development specialists and actually create this board because part of the board, I wanted to be electronic so that you could press down on the pieces and it would show you, the moves that you could make with each piece that you press down, which I'd Mm -hmm. done in software, but somehow wasn't as impressive as the the vision that I had in my mind. But then the iPad came out, and it made me realize that that is actually the board that I want, like the whole surrounding of it, the whole brushed aluminium.
1: That's Mm -hmm. exactly
0: what I want. And if I can just, you know, put my um, graphics on top of that, I can pretty much put the quality of user experience that I want onto that iPad. And, like, for me, the, the big deal isn't about creating a game that you can play with an AI, although I know that's something you're interested in. But yeah, for, we can, you can talk we'll about, that, about in that in a minute. sec. But for me, the big deal is that you can take out your iPad and you can play Swarm. Like, you can put your iPad down on the table, and then it's this interactive game board, you know? So, which is this this new game that's something like a cross between chess, backgammon drafts, etc., etc. But actually play it in, I don't know, um, Starbucks or something like that. Play it with an old friend and just... So it's just like a really good game like that, you know.
1: Uh, yeah, I. Oh, okay. I think it's <laughs> that definitely has potential. Um, and I think it's really cool. I, I, I here's the things I think you need to do in addition to that. Now, right. I think creating an iPad game is, is 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 should be, you know, do that definitely would be fun use of it, and it'd give you a good excuse to buy an iPad as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think you need to make it, and we've talked about this, I think you need to make a web version of it so people can play it online like they're playing Minesweeper or something, you know, or Solitaire. But they have to be able to play against the computer because people have to be able to experiment with and learn how to play on their own. Um, I think that, you know, that will greatly increase potential to, for people to adopt it. That's my first thing. So I think, but in order to do that, you need the, to have a artificial intelligence or something that allows people to play against the computer, which
0: is going to be incredibly right? difficult to make.
1: Right. So we'll talk about it. now. That's my suggestion. So that, obviously, we've talked about. I'm going to try and do that because <laughs> I have some background and some experience in machine learning, and I think this is a really interesting problem to try and evolve an artificial intelligence that is um, somewhat workable. Um, I think, but I'll get to that in just a second. Let's uh, I'll skip over because I'm going to talk in general terms also. Um, I think that if you create it on the web and you create it, make it easy for people to play it, I don't know if you make it like a, you know, Facebook games, you add it to these gaming communities or whatever, but you got to get it out there and get people using it because no one's going to buy this iPad thing and play it with somebody when nobody knows how to use it. And another thing I was thinking you might want to do, and this is a whole, almost a whole other line of conversation, whole other topic, but um, in order to get people to use it, it seemed like you'd want to get out to... Get actual physical simple board like a like a chess board like you don't have to be electronic or anything like that get some like get a you know i don't know spend a couple thousand dollars and get some you know relatively inexpensive ones made with some simple pieces i can't imagine that would be very expensive and go around and, and different types of gaming, board gaming meetups and stuff, and go around and pick people up by the five and ten at a time. Say, hey, I got this cool new board I want people to test out and, and start building like an email list and build a community around it and start with 20 and 30 well, and 50. I've already,
0: done, I've already done that process in London and it wasn't very successful because, because of the nature of the game. It, it's, it, it is a new type of board game because there's a certain level of complexity to the, to the moves and the different things that you can do. And Mm -hmm. the visual hints that you can get from a computer screen or from the kind of electronic board that I was thinking of building for it are pretty much needed because if you just play with it on a normal board, it's not so obvious the moves that you can make, but it's this thing of like when you select a piece and then it shows you the different, the rays shoot out and show you the moves that you can make. And it also shows you how much it costs to make that move that, Mm -hmm. that kind of makes it, easily playable it's difficult if you've got
1: to hold all that stuff in your head you see what i'm saying yeah so, so describe it to people who i'll describe it from my perspective and maybe you can correct it because i am sure. a. so maybe i can describe it a very naive from a very naive perspective so it's like chess or um or uh checkers and that you have you know your pieces are on one side of the board and they're facing another piece and you you win by sort of um capturing the other pieces by surrounding them you see you,
0: you win either by capturing or by getting the most points so that's that's why it's kind of a cross between chess and backgammon although it's okay it, the gameplay is absolutely nothing like chess just just
1: but you roll but you roll the die but you have three different types of pieces you have a queen a drone you have queen <laughs> drones and workers right yeah, yeah. so a swarm so you got the whole and you got little hexagons. so it has this sort of like you know bee theme or whatever yeah. which is actually really clever I never even occurred to me some of that stuff I didn't really think about the hexagons I'm like oh okay now I get all the hexagons <laughs> right <laughs> duh um but um it's sort of clever how you put that all together, and then you roll dice to figure out how many you know available moves you can make right yeah and, and you,
0: you, you can move um you can move your pieces or you can move your opponent's pieces at different costs of the dice
1: and, and you surround them like kind of like go or something yeah right? exactly
0: you surround them like go and then you capture them and then any piece that you capture you get points for um but you there's also like backgammon, you can take the beast the pieces off the board through your opponent's side of the board there's like one ultimate square like a green square so you so you can choose whether you're going to play a strategy game where you're going to try and capture their queen or you can choose whether you're going to play a game where you're going to try and run for it and just get all get your pieces out as quickly as possible to just beat them on points right 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 and and the idea of it is is it's especially built to be a tournament game so that you play maybe the best of 11 in the same way as you do with backgammon because each game can be very quick so you can have kind of intense longer games or you can have uh quick games and then you'll maintain the points so the the thing about the capturing is if you if you capture the opponent's piece then you get all the points on the board so that really adds up for for a tournament of like 11 games or something like that
1: right right so <laughs> okay i don't because you, you you talked about you and i playing it and helping you work out the rules i and I, one thing I, I said is that you know i don't I really don't play games like that. I mean, I know how I'd play chess and checkers. I played some when I was a kid, and I never really learned to play backgammon. And I'm not really a gamer, so. But it's funny. Two the last two friends of mine that I talked to are both big time gamers, and both when right. I talked about like, oh man, I love to play that.
0: Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's I not that I need it, help working out the rules. It's just there's there's some very fine points because I've already put quite a few thousand hours of gameplay in, but there's just some fine points of um just finickety things like should you know to to move this piece should it cost three or should it cost four and the reasons why you, you, you know what i'm saying just for the right. optimal game experience
1: right it kind of reminds me of um i read this article and uh, wired about sellers of catan
0: right catan, right yeah, came
1: yeah. Out, like I don't know, that was article a year ago and they were talking about you know how much how much went into i guess this guy has created tons of games and in germany apparently it, 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 Game board games are a huge deal, and they make awesome games. And our games like Monopoly and Risk and stuff suck in comparison yeah, <laughs> for yeah. a bunch of a, sort of somewhat objective measures of gameplay. And that Settlers of Catan is like the ultimate. And talked about how many, how sophisticated his analysis and development of it was, and all these spreadsheets he used to analyze points and costs and balancing and equilibrium of gameplay and stuff. It's really kind of interesting. So I can see. After reading that, I get to understand like, wow, that must be pretty tricky to come up with something that works. So I have a question for you. shoot. Now, okay, so I'm kind of thinking from the AI stuff, and I'll get into more of that in a sec, but okay, one thing is like you talk about the complexity of it, okay? Like the different options you have. What about having different versions of gameplay, like the simple rules, level one, level two, level like, simple? like simple one, you can only move one piece, or you can't move the other you can't move. The other uh, the opponent's pieces, so it's like much simpler. And then after they get that, can play like a a higher type of game, and then it adds these additional levels of complexity. and And, and, uh, and the reason I ask is for two, uh, two or three reasons. I think that might be not be a bad idea is for two reasons. One, it allows people who aren't game experts like me, and probably aren't real patient with learning a bunch of rules, to say, hey, give me, just give me the few rules, right? And then. I can understand it, and then we can add on later on, because otherwise it's really hard to sort of develop a strategy in your mind where there's like there's so many things you can do I can, everybody can move these like different directions and mm-hmm. I can move like play, you know, okay. points and I surround it's like god I, I have an answer oh. for that
0: um okay. so in the in the computer game version that I developed, um there was six six different uh instances of the game that mm-hmm. was that was uh possible to play with various different rules like you describe and um Ultimately, what I found out is that offering those different games when I when I presented to different people it confused the hell out of them um, to have the different options and what I what I needed to do was to settle on the best version and because also the board could be many different shapes and many different sizes and I need to settle on the best option for the board and the best option for the number of pieces and all these different possibilities so it actually in in my very first version it was so malleable that um because hexagons can be within hexagons, I actually had it that you could make the board any shape you wanted, right? right. So mm-hmm. you you literally had 20 hexagon pieces and you could just create you create your, your own board. Um, mm-hmm. But that, once again, was just an extra level of complexity. People just want to sit down and play something. Now, when I say the rules are complicated, they're not that complicated. They fit on one page, um, which is, you know, like chess rules fit on one page. Um, it's just... It just takes a couple of games to remember the point values. And I want people to be able to get into it straight away just by using the system rather than...
1: I guess I don't mean the that the rules themselves are super hard, but th- there's enough freedom of movement that coming up with a strategy seems really hard to select what you can do. There's so many different options, and one the other reason I bring it up one
0: move can't work, by the way, because you just can't do anything in one move. The game's too. Oh, okay.
1: You know, may, maybe not. I'm I just threw that out there. I mean, limiting yeah. it in some way, some degree of movement. You know, like limiting it down your options. And the other reason I bring that up is that evolving an AI, you know, coming up with some kind of computer because a game. Which I think is important because if you want people to pick it up, being able to play against a computer can probably dramatically increase your uptake because people can play on their own, and people play lots of people play games on their own, or probably that's probably much more frequent than people playing with other people yep. now, but evolving an AI or creating an AI where the search space is just astronomical, so for instance it makes it make, it's much more harder, right computationally so for instance, if you're looking at um, chess or checkers, and you're like, well what?" You know how many different moves can I make? What are what are my number of possible moves? And then if and, and then what you call that is like okay, m- when I look at all my possible moves and then all the possible moves that my opponent can make based on each one of those moves, move, that's one ply look ahead. Yeah. So sometimes these computers search out like two ply or three ply or four ply, and they they just enumerate all of these possible, um, you know, moves and counter moves, and then it does an evaluation of the, of the board at that point and gives it a value, sort of like... In, in one of the common approaches is what they call the min-max algorithm, which you minimize... To calculate the value of the board, you minimize the maximum value that your opponent can uh, cause. It minimize the maximum damage that your opponent can get cause. Like That's a very common way. But if you, in, you... Not only do you have all these different pieces that you can move and all these different ways that you can move and you can move the opponent's pieces and you have the dice, so you have the stochastic element... Then you have this huge search space. So it's really difficult to Well, I'm sorry, but that's the best
0: gameplay. So mean it has the best gameplay through thousands of, of hours of gameplay, so I mean know, that's a hell of a challenge. I'm not gonna change the game just to make it easier for you to write an AI.
1: Well, I'm just saying, you know, like, hey, if you had like a simple version, and I could evolve an AI for that, and say, okay, well, that works, then we can say well, I, go from there. I mean, I'll maybe you, I'll try
0: that. I'll tell you what you can do. You, because there's there's a couple of different strategies. Like, there's a there's a capture queen strategy, and there's also a race strategy. So you can you can pick a pick a battle there,
1: right? Is that is, it, is that eliminating a rule? No, because no, it's not a eliminating okay, rule, but I'm okay, just okay. saying here's here's the thing here's the thing. When you're evolving an AI like this, you're using like a bootstrapping sort of uh, AI emoji, it's not expert system. It's not like this is what I'm trying to do. You just say, you know, these are the rules and you have these strategies, you have like a population of potential, you know, of uh, AIs or something, and each one does some random things and then the one and you have them compete a tournament against each other, and the ones that do better you know, sort of move on and evolve or crossbreed with other intelligences and stuff like that. So it's not like you're saying, well, do this or do that in such and such a situation. You just say, these are the rules. This is what's allowed. Play. Right? So it'd be much easier to do something like that if I said, right, if I limited some rules down, something like if you had like Baby Swarm, (laughs) right? In Baby Swarm, you can't move your opponent's pieces and you can only do X, Y, and Z. If there are ways of limiting it down a little bit that... You know, at least I might do that from just developing the AI. But I'm just thinking that might not also might not be a bad idea for p- getting people used to playing it. But
0: the thing about it is, is moving moving your. I mean, this is why I say it's important for you to play the game so you can understand. It okay. seems crazy to me that you'd build an AI without intimately understanding how to play the game.
1: Well, you know, that's actually kind of the fun, that's kind of the fun of it. So if, you, if you just if it's like one of the fun things is like I don't want to be an expert. At, I want to see if I can evolve an intelligence without expert input expert guidance is okay. that possible okay well i mean the
0: thing is things. your moves are limited because even though you can move your opponent's pieces it's kind of rare that you have enough points that you you're in a scenario where you know when you roll the dice that you're in a scenario where you can do that mm-hmm. to an effective way you know what i'm saying right.
1: so it's yeah. not it, well i'll do the calculations and see i i need to do some calculations and kind of see how many see how many different possibilities there are maybe maybe it's not as bad as I, I'm imagining. It probably is as
0: bad as you're imagining.
1: Yeah, it sounds... It Look, it's just intuitively, just kind of looking at it, I'm like, Because the,
0: wow. the, the one difference... I mean, for example, Go, which, which is supposedly the, you know, the largest search space game, right? With mm-hmm. Go, I, I think you've only got two axes that you can move each piece. Right. Right, so with this, you've got six axes per piece, and they can move in any direction. Right. And, and yes, that's yeah. kind of the strange thing about the game um, and, and why it's kind of different. It, because people aren't used to a game where the games typically speaking are about moving one piece and by moving one piece you you create your strategic you know viewpoint or goal whereas this is like hive mind it's it, did you ever read Ender's game i did yeah okay so you know the way that ender wins wins ender's game right this is just the whole uh, overall concept like he's thinking larger than just an individual thing that's what you have to do with this this game it's it's like move Moving your pieces as a as a swarm, right, right, and and then by doing that is how you can if you strategically do that well enough on, on a number of occasions, then you can win the game. Right,
1: right, and it's kind well, of be in, it's easier yeah. than it sounds as well. I mean, it's not difficult to play. Yeah, well, so yeah, I mean, I'll definitely play it with you. I mean, I I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't have enough time probably, or I probably even you know to, to play it over and over. Become you know an expert at it, but as long as once I become very you know and un- once I understand the rules really well that's pretty much all I need um, and then to make an attempt because what I find really interesting I'd rather spend my time trying to uh, you know work on the uh, AI than actually yeah playing it i just I'm just not as interested in, in games as yeah, uh, you no know, understood but, but uh, you know I read it because I had read an interesting book years ago I think I might even mention this back in an article we um i mean in a podcast that we had with uh, Chris Park about um, was AI war oh yeah remember that was it Ten or something, and it was called the book was called Blondie Twenty Four, and it was by a, a guy named uh, David Fogel. Who um, he's a I don't know he's a you know he's PhDs in machine learning, and he has a company called Natural Selection. And he when he I think he wrote a um, they wrote a paper. They initially were trying to evolve a, a a checkers playing algorithm without using expert input. Um, which a lot of these sort of game playing algorithms used like a database, database of games like end games and how do you start a game like chess and things like that. Yeah. They wanted to evolve something that didn't use the expert input. And the, the name of the book was called Blondie 24. is really interesting. And I was going to say, hey, I wonder if I could apply some of those ideas to Swarm. So I've been kinda, I pulled it off my bookshelf and I actually forwarded you a link to it. I thought you might find it interesting because it's not an overly technical book. It's you know. no I'm going to get it that,
0: that, that could, I could do that um, have a look at that on my, my holiday by the way this is probably good a good point to, uh, to mention that I'll be going away to Europe for three weeks on Monday um, so we're not sure how many podcasts we can fit in during that time we'll, right. we'll, is we'll being try. kicked
1: out of the country for the weeks the same thing as going on holiday is that what the <laughs> context <college> is <laughs> yeah. get to run from the law
0: is that yeah
1: <laughs> so where are you going
0: i uh, going to Ireland, England and France
1: right right just to and, see friends uh, and family Oh that's cool. So are we gonna do what's our plan for the podcast during the time? Are we gonna do anything? Um
0: well we're just I think just keep in touch and um I'll I'll ping you when I've got an internet connection. Because the the difficult thing will be to have an internet connection somewhere where I can speak privately.
1: Right. So you need to have a headset and your laptop. I'll have those things. Oh, and, oh I'm
0: getting a Mac tomorrow, in theory. Oh, nice. Very nice. Moving to the other side. Right.
1: So yeah. So I guess we'll see. So whether or not we do a podcast really depends on whether you're able to find a... I suppose the other thing is, just quickly, is if
0: anyone wants to um, play a few games of Swarm with me, <laughs> I'll set up an online version so that we can play it and maybe Skype at the same time. And um, because then... Yeah, we can...
1: need a, you need to set up a, a Swarm Alpha test group. Exactly.
0: Well. Yeah. Just, just even to get some of the game... Um, you know what would be cool would be if if that could be done in like a... I don't know, like a virtual environment where, where we were playing using like screen. Yeah, well you need software. chat roulette. You need swarm roulette. But but like where there was maybe five, you know, there was two players to, uh, playing it, but then maybe five other people discussing it, you know, Making, commenting,
1: heckling you. Yeah,
0: heckling, <laughs> commenting on it. I don't know. I don't. Ah, know. I
1: think that'd be cool. Well, uh, I think you should create some kind of um, a gaming site where people can come in, find other players, they can have, see a screencast of how to play. You know, they can have a have a tracking of their points. Like, you know, okay, you've played, you've challenged these people, and they get kind of a ranking score. I mean, that would bring people in and help build a a sort of a user base, which would be fun.
0: Yeah, you also had another idea, which was to do some kind of AI competition.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I was thinking once I get, if I can get an AI that's at all workable, then it would be fun to once I have sort of like a some sort of framework where people can easily test their AI and t- inputs and outputs and stuff like that, you know, maybe, you know, it'd be so, interesting. If people so you want frame- a head start on everyone? Well, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, they can go ahead and do it if they want. I mean, No one's stopping them once you have the rules online. I'm just saying that it'd be interesting to, if I was able to build like a framework for people that, where it's easy for me to test mine and then i say, okay, now go on and test yours if you want to.
0: That'd be kind of cool if you could go in the iPad and you could choose a personality to play, right? Yeah. And it could be different, the different AIs, so yours could be Jason AI.
1: Well, you know what I've been... Th- yeah, it's all right. Well, yeah, well, they have those AI can- competitions for different... those game playing, you know, for those different types of games and checkers and stuff like that. And they get rankings. And, you know, I don't know much about it. I know they they, ref- they referenced that stuff in uh, Blondie24. Um, they play against you know each was- other, don't they, to determine who's the best? Um... Yeah, that's right. Well, they're trying to, you know, they're, they're, some of it's just from a research perspective. You know, these researchers are trying out different machine learning methods and they're looking at, like, hey, well, we, you know, we did this approach and that approach and we reached this level and had such and such success as opposed to just trying to build the very best backgammon or chess playing algorithm possible. It's more about, you know, it's just good. It's a good, very good sort of ex- laboratory for, for, for working and testing out these machine learning methods. Um, what I'd kind of been thinking about—I always been thinking about this. This has been an idea I've had for a while, which is like building like an online virtual game that had a very simple interface, you know, almost like a Tetris, like just kind of like a grid or squares. Yeah. But obviously, you could do it with the hexagon type thing as well. But it was like a—it was gigantic, right? It was like a giant map. You know how you play like um Command and Conquer back in the day? Or those oh yeah, kind of, yeah. Like, you know, you couldn't see things until you went to the air, and it kind of black, but it kind of unfolded. You had kind of like a little you could see kind of like a bird's eye of the whole thing, like a miniature view of the map yeah. and like an overview. And then you could kind of zoom in. And I was thinking it'd be kind of cool to create something. It was kind of, and I guess thinking about swarm is kind of like that you have these different rules and things can move certain ways. But I was thinking like something is much more abstract than say a command and conquer. We have these tanks and stuff moving around. It was more like, you know, a handful of different types of pieces. You have maybe like fortifications and, you know, uh, energy and, you know, attack and defenders or whatever. And, but it would be kind of thing. It would be an ongoing game. And so that you, rather than you playing it directly, you would create your AI and train your AI. And all these AIs would be going over this gigantic universe, trying to get create, (laughs) and more space, you know, I was like, that would be kind of a really, really kind of a cool thing. So the only
0: way to play the game was AI. I
1: don't know. I mean, I was thinking, I was just thinking of that today. I mean, initially I was thinking, well, if you played yourself, but then what would happen if you weren't on the machine, if you weren't on the game? Like what happens in world of Warcraft when you just, are playing, you just your character disappears. Do they allow AIs into World of Warcraft, things like that. Well, I don't know, but what, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, so what happens yeah, when you disappear?
0: Yeah, you just well, you're not. Yeah, no, you're just not there. No, you you your well, avatar what happens, disappears.
1: But if you're doing something, it's a gigantic ongoing st- sort of strategy game where you're. Defending I think that your avatar
0: er- kind of goes dead. It just kind of stands there somewhere <laughs> in the game It becomes a zombie. Oh.
1: Okay, so what happens though? What would you do in if a, if you had like a giant strategy game, right? You would imagine, it's like an entire world, and you only see you have a small fraction of what you have, but you're trying to ex- extend your territory. You're trying to pick up territory and defend your and defend it. But when you go off, does it kind of gray out and people can't attack it or whatever, you yeah, know? Yeah. And I was, I was thinking maybe if you did AI, then of course the AI never goes to sleep, right? It's always playing. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you have some AIs, but then you have people you can go on and you can you can take over and play or I don't know. That'd be it's, nuts. It's, it's something I've just been thinking about. I haven't really in my mind have a solution, but I was sort of thinking <laughs> that it was something that you could do with a very simple interface, not using, I mean, using like just HTML and JavaScript. Yeah. Into a, a main server. But sounds, anyway, sounds I think like a that's, good idea. yeah, well, it's a, it's a big idea. I don't know if I'll we'll <laughs> ever <laughs> attempt it, but um, anyway, well, I think that's probably, I think we've been going for a while, so probably a good time to call
0: it yeah a nice long show because we we're not one hundred percent sure when the next one's going to happen, so right right but uh, no I mean it's been good you know to, like the app Ignite and the, the other stuff they're talking about
1: Good a lot of new stuff a lot of, uh, yeah a lot of new stuff on the horizon Oh, cause, All cause, right. like, uh, just before we go,
0: so we do want uh, another Lacritique. critique
1: yeah we do oh well there's a uh, there was uh, a a guy yeah who um who emailed in was about remote DB or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah. I gotta check that out again. It looked kind oh, of neat. Okay, like we'll a, do, that. Like like do that. do that next
0: show. Right, we'll do the lacritique of the um,
1: that remote DB next show. Definitely. I think I'm not sure if that's the domain It was something like that. Um, but yeah, that looked really good. And look, we had a couple people who would be interested in coming on for like get to know a user. <laughs> yeah. Although my my wife suggested rather get to know a listener. It should be called this nerd's life. <laughs> <laughs> I got to like this American life on NPR, you know, <laughs> this nerd's life. All right. Well, on that note, all right, that's a wrap. We're out.